Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Keys win it, man! Whoa! He's gone to give him out, and then he's rubbed his nose. Scratch his bitchy nose. <laughs> yeah. What about to McCullum? Shane? He might be trying to shake the sweet one after that first one. He might try and slide one in there. Fast. Yeah! Well, you yeah, called it. Out. Let's run out. Let's come on, Sam. Yeah. No, he's going. Sometimes. You'll never see that again. Yeah, you think you've seen it all, don't you? Hello, and welcome to the SC Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Williams. It is the final episode of the Supercoach Big Bash season. Round 13 is upon us. We're going to be looking into that round along with a bunch of other things. Uh, I want to start the episode by saying a very happy birthday to my boy Cam Murray and also Drone Luai. Uh, that is a bit of a teaser for our NRL season content. Not far away, but at the same time, I hadn't spoken about Cam Murray in a few months now and I was standing at the shakes about it because I love that bloke so much. Footy content not too far away, but for today, we're wrapping up the cricket season with a bunch of things to talk about. Here to do that with us is the BBL9 Supergrates champion, Tomo Aitken. Tomo, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, Timmy. Good day, Maxie. Look, it has been a season, hasn't it? It's had a little bit of everything. We'll have a bit of a look, a bit of a review today, a little bit of preview of round 13. And, yeah, it's been a season, but we just love the BBL here. Mate, like all good champions, uh, you're more than a one-hit wonder. You've bounced back pretty well this season. How's the team tracking? Yeah, uh, leading into round 12, I was in the 130s, I believe. So, you know, like most people, will be pushing and aiming to finish as high as possible. Uh, only two strikers for me on their double had short VC, which lots and lots of people did, and Siddle. Um, look, the strikers did really, really well in their double game. They had some great scores from some different players. Um, look, I've got some Melbourne players left over from their double and traded a couple in. They didn't score so well, so looking for people like Zampa and Stoyners and Couch to bounce back in the last game of round 12. And with my other trades this round, my attention's turned to round 13. Four teams on the double and some absolute monster scores could be on offer there. I managed to keep hold of McDermott and Kane Richardson and trade in this round. Who was it from the Sixers? Philippi, Dorcious, and Dan Christian, I think. So hopefully some stars can do some business in their last one of the double and then onwards and upwards to round 13. Nice, mate. Yeah, not just because it is the final round of the season. We get to find out the winners, the head-to-head leagues decided, all that sort of stuff, but... It is the most exciting round of the season by a mile with four teams on the double. 
it just pre- presents so much opportunity for super coaches uh, to get a one up on people. Massive opportunity to jump rankings. The poor old bloke coming first overall when he saw that there was two additional, oh no, sorry, four additional teams added to the doubles in the final week would have had a heart attack. But it does blow things wide open. I can't wait for it. Also here to discuss that with us is our man Maxi Bryden. Maxi, how are you? Good, thanks, Timmy. G'day, Tomo. Going well, mate. Very, very excited that this season's drawing to a close and um, just kind of reflecting on, um, oh, I just can't believe how chaotic it has been. Um, but gee, it's been fun to be, to ride the roller coaster, and that's why you do it. And Maxi, how's your side looking, mate? Yeah, not too bad. I've had a little bit of a bounce back in the last couple of weeks, um, all things considered. Um, I, I sat Rashid and Matt Short last round for a total of 317 points on the bench, which stung a bit, but um, we're still able to claw 187 more spots up to about 1,500th overall with a, with a 902. Um, I just got stung by just putting a bit of faith in Philippi and um, Shadab Khan, who was my super pod, um, up against what I thought was a pretty weak Renegades outfit, but... Um, just got proved wrong, and uh, it, it was it was really just that that beat up um, of the strikers against the pretty weak Brisbane Heat team, which was a defining moment for um, a lot of people. But um, traded pretty well this week. Uh, same same strikers as Tomo, same VC as Tomo, um, and brought in Ben Dorshus for a nice sixty odd last week. Also took a little bit of a punt on Ashton Turner this round, um, which netted me another sixty odd points, and his minus seventy five break even will earn me about forty k as well which will help me top up for double game week players next week nicely. Very good, Maxi. Hey, Tomo, can we confirm you've written about him every single week in your article? We speak about him every week on the podcast. Have you bought him Benny Dorsch yet? Yeah, Ben Dorsch is one of the three uh, sixes I brought in. <laughs> and, um, it's yeah, you're probably right. It was um, about time. If I wasn't so conservative and done it a few weeks earlier, um, I might be a little bit higher in the rankings. But, um, look... About time I did it, eh, boys? Nice. Bloody oath it is, mate. The Kuma Stallions, thought I had a stinker of a, a week last round in round 11, but I uh, only dropped 13 spots into 101st overall. Um, having a really good week at the moment, projected for 15.50 with that final Stars game to come. So I'm hoping if I can go right here, I might jump towards that sort of top 50 area uh, and be a little bit of a sniff at the prize money. Uh, I'm getting a bit excited and definitely going to be chasing a few pods next round because uh, why not have a crack at it? On today's show, we will preview round 13. We're going to look at our trades and skippers for that round. Bit of a year in review, the things we did well, the things we did wrong, our best trades, best captains, the worst things, which is probably more exciting, to be honest. Uh, what we learned from the year, we'll touch on a few things there. Uh, then we're going to get into our BBL awards, so player of the years, coaches award, all that sort of stuff, biggest flops. Uh, we'll touch on a few of those things. Guys and girls, uh, just putting out a feeler for anyone interested in coming on board the SC Playbook podcast and website as a sponsor for the 2022 NRL and AFL seasons. If you wanted to support the podcast and expose yourself to our growing audience, get in touch at supercoachplaybook at gmail.com. Supercoach, one word, and we'll pass on uh, any further details of what that uh, partnership opportunity presents for you if you're interested. Boys, let's start off with our round 13 preview. Let's talk about how we're going to approach it. I think we're, Tomo, you said, sitting pretty nicely in definite range of the top 100 there, potentially even a bit higher. Uh, and Maxi, more of a top 1,000 sort of spot there for you, but hanging in all right as well. Um, I'll start with you, Tomo. What's your approach to it, mate? And who are the, are the players you're eyeing off? We've got four teams on the double, as we said. We've got the Hurricanes, we've got the Heat, we've got the Sixers who are stacked with opportunities. And uh, off the top of my head, the Renegades, that's the other one. Tomo, what are you looking at? 
Yeah, round 13 is going to be really interesting. With four teams on the double, there's going to be lots and lots of options. Um, in terms of going more traditional and conservative with players that generally score well or going down the pod route, I'm going to lean more towards the conservative sort of side um, because I'm going to be bringing in, I think, with my five trades, five people on the double, except for potentially, I guess, Mitch Marsh, depending if he comes in because, um, look, he was a gun and I'm going to assume if he comes back one game, he's still going to be a gun. I think... Yes, mate? I'll stop you there. You you said you're going the conservative route. Uh, With so many options for pods this round, even pods on the double, pods skippers, that sort of thing... You must be tempted to, to throw everything at it and try try sneak into that money. Oh, potentially, but I think because there's so many good players from those teams on the double, look, depending on which big guns you choose, you, you cannot have all the big guns this double. So depending on which guns you do select, I think there could be some differences there. And if you select some big guns that do all right and you miss, uh, choose to not select a couple. Um, maybe you load up on sixes and the sixes do awesomely well and you miss out on a couple of heat guys and they don't do so well. I reckon we could see some fluctuations there in terms of scoring. So I'm not going to go too wild and too outrageous. I'm going to leave that for you this round, Timmy. So then we can sort of, one of us can go down one path, one down the other, and then at least one uh, fella from the playbook crew is going to be successful around 13. Um, yeah, look, there's so many players you could consider this round like the sixes i think have six or seven players that you could think about i mean sean abbott i can't wait to own sean abbott he's going to be my first trade in for the last round Philippe is an option benny dorsius if you don't have him is an option dc dan christian hayden kerr is someone i never had but i think he's an option Enriquez and O'Keefe, I think the Sixers as well, they're going to be pushing to finish as high as possible. So they're going to be playing a strong squad and doing as well as they can. The Heat, the Heat have some options there, you know, Steckity, Basley, Bartlett, and then Swepson and Nisa returning. What sort of form are they going to return in at? The Renegades, probably not as much compared to the Sixers and Heat and Hurricanes, but Kane Richardson's going to score some points and look, if you want to go down that route um, with best batter, best bowler, then Finch or Marsh could be an option. And Hurricanes like Ben McDermott, Wade, did we see some form back from Wade after last knock? Rogers and Meredith, if you want to have a good Hobart bowler in there. And look, he hasn't has his best tournament. I'm sure Darcy Short will have some admirers there as well. So just with all those names, I think you're going to see some differences from some teams because especially looking at some of the bowling options, you can't have all those bowlers and you're going to have to pick and choose. And, look, I think that's where we're going to see some variations in teams. Yeah, you're spot on, mate. It's going to be the most exciting round because teams are going to be very unique. Uh, And I I think you nailed it on the head in terms of you can play conservatively and still have pods, if that makes sense, because we've got four teams on the double. So plenty of opportunity. Mate, one name you touched on there that you mentioned in your article last week is Mark Steckity, who has really flown under the radar this season, probably due to um, being in and out of that heat squad for various reasons, international duties, that sort of stuff. I think Australia A early on. Averaging mid to late 80s, I believe, I think Maxi might have gone early on in this week. Um, tell us about Steckity and why you like him. Oh, look, it comes down really to the average and you know, in your squad, you want to bring in high averaging players. And he's been really good in that regard. 
he's pretty consistent. He's pretty consistent. Um, look, the only thing that does worry me slightly is with these returning players to the Brisbane Heat, they've got some strength in the bowling lineup, and I'm going to be really interested, especially tonight, to see who they use and when they use them and who's possible X factors in that Heat bowling lineup. Steckity's just a good player. Um, he's I haven't selected him apart from this year, but he was really good last year and he's done the same again this year. So he's just a good scorer. Yeah, like it. Hey, Maxi, how are you attacking round 13, mate? Who are the blokes you like? Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty similar plan. Um, I think you just have to go out on the double game week targets just given that there's so many of them. Um, One thing I think that you can differentiate yourself on um, is potentially maybe looking for a cheaper guy who's just shown some really, really good form. Um, And one of the things I'll touch on when we reflect on some of the lessons that we've learned this year has just been I I think that form has played a more important important role than ever before in this uh, tournament just because of how close those games are back-to-back. We've seen guys like, you know, Joe Clark, Jason Sanger, Curtis Patterson, Renshaw, Matt Short, McDermott, Munro, even Moses really start to string a few good games together in a row. And a guy like Matt Wade won game but looked pretty solid. Moses now has done it two games in a row for the Sixers and will be around 130K. You might just be able to find yourself uh, a nice little, particularly like a batting pod, um, if there's someone from the double game week sides who is looking like uh, he's in hot form. So that'll be it. Um, I, I'm hope I'm really looking forward to, uh, to owning Abbott. Um, I think as well, even just reflecting on that old, uh, you know, very traditional tactic of getting all rounders in your batting spots. Um, that might be the move and why a guy like Christian or Kerr could be good just knowing that I can sort of load one of them into my batting spot. But, yeah, when early on Steck, I'm pretty big on him. He, he's a guy who, you know, even not even just last year, he just does it year after year for the heat very quietly, just goes about his work and takes wickets. So um, that'll be it. It'll be good fun. Um, and hopefully I can get myself inside that top 1K by the time it's all said and done. Mate, a very, very interesting one this week. Um, we touched on, I mean, it probably makes sense that all five of your trades go towards double game week players this week, and such is the plethora of options that we have at our disposal this week. Mate, Mitch Marsh on the single game week for the Scorchers. We're expecting him and Inglis back into that side for their round 13 Supercoach clash. Top averaging Supercoach player this season quite comfortably. I think he's on about 103 points per game across five or six games. We know how good his role is at the Scorchers. We know how good his form is. Is he a bloke you would be willing to bring into your side this week or are you thinking just double game weeks all around? I think you can definitely bring him in. Um, and two main reasons for that. Well, sorry, three. One is his role is still going to be excellent. Two is he's playing the Brisbane Heat, who do give up um, a fair amount of Supercoach points. Um, and the third is that he's playing at Marvel Stadium, which is a, a very profitable ground um, for him and his style of batting, giving it short square, and he can whip balls um, off a good length off his hip all the way for six and um, should suit his bowling as well. So... Um, it's not a terrible play. It will cost you a lot of money because I think he's probably around 240K. But um, I don't think a lot of people will go that route. They'll probably fall in love with the double game week. And look, there's there's plenty of reasons to, to, to fall in love with the double um, this round. But yeah, you could absolutely bring back Mitch Marsh for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think provided he gets the all clear nice and early for people to make their trade, the Scorch is playing the second game of the round. I think a lot will bring him in. I I don't not like it, but I just think there are so many guns that we can pick from across these teams that 
I just don't think you need him on the single game week. That being said, we know what he's doing. He's averaging 100 points per game. So he comes out and matches that average, if not more, job done. Tomo Marsh, what's your take on him? Would you be, would you consider him or are you thinking doubles? Oh, I'm personally someone that goes doubles. But when he is the highest averaging player, albeit only over a few games, um, you've got to think of bringing him in. Probably because he's so expensive, I'd rather go um, an all-rounder on a double or even a bowler on a double. But, like, he could score 50 runs, take three wickets, depending on what sort of lineup the Scorchers um, put out there. So traditionally, I'm one to go the double. I'm 90 95% sure I would, but I will have a sneaky look um, at bringing him in because he is the highest averaging player after all. Tomo, skippers for round 13. Just having a look at the draw now. Uh, of the teams on the double, the Sixers playing game one. With all their excellent options we have available, I think your vice captain probably has to come from that game. Of the next teams on teams on the double, the Heat play game two. I mean, go with the Heat as a skipper at your own risk. We know what they've thrown up this season. Granted, they're getting a lot of players back at the moment. Um and then in game three, if you can make it work in terms of the loop, the Hurricanes and Renegades both on the double, if you like, guys, from them sort of sides. Who are you looking at at this stage? Yeah, look, I think you're absolutely right. VC has to be a Sydney Sixer. Uh, Abbott is their highest averaging player, so he'll have a lot of admirers. DC, perhaps if the Sixers are batting first, I think also that he'll have a slightly um, better batting role depending on what lineup the Sixers decide to run with. And look, Sydney playing Adelaide and Brisbane, they are a great schedule. So even if uh, whoever you selected at VC did really, really poorly, I'd almost be tempted to um, stick with them again because the Sixers will be pushing and playing to win. Hobart, I know about the Heat. Hobart have the two Melbourne teams too, and I think that's not a bad draw because depending on who you select, that could lead to wickets or runs. So... I think my VC would be a Sydney Sixer and if I had to just go captain, I'd probably go more down the Hurricanes route. So depending if you want the bowler, you're probably looking at Tommy Rogers. But if you want to be brave and put on a batsman, you'd have to put it on McDermott. Mate, I'll give you two se- a couple of seconds to think about while Maxi talks about it, but drop a few names for us, I reckon, maybe from that, that Sixers team. Maxi, who are you looking at? Yeah, I think Tomo's really nailed it. Um, looking at the draw and, and, and the order of games, sixes make the best sense. Um, I do think that that Hobart draw is going to be extremely profitable, um, and particularly with the form that the Hobart side showed in their last match against the Sydney Thunder. Um, yes, there was a bit of a lone hand from Matt Wade, but McDermott looked good, Jewel looked good, Riley Meredith looked in impeccable form. Um, and they're going to be back at Marvel Stadium, which is a ground that they do play quite well at before another game at the MCG. Um, so I think absolutely looking at Meredith or a McDermott C um, off the back of a, a, an Abbott or even a Dorcious um, VC could could absolutely be the move. One thing as well just to keep an eye on for people um, is the Brisbane Heat draw. Now, on paper, um, it's shocking. They've got the Scorchers and the Sixers, which are the best two Supercoach teams and aren't giving up a lot of points. What we did see, however, though, was the Scorchers um, were resting players against the Adelaide Strikers. Um, Ashton Agar had a bit of a niggle and was given um, some time off. Um, Andrew Ty was only given two overs to, to bowl. Um, and particularly without Agar, just the balance for their side is pretty awful because they don't have any other all-rounders. And 
they were really only batting down to number six and then they fell right away, which was you know ultimately why the strikers dusted them pretty comfortably. If the Sixers don't claim all four points against Adelaide in the first game, there's a very strong chance that the Scorchers might rest their players again, just knowing that um, they've got the first place locked up. Um, and even just the fact that they're not going to play that home game in Perth and they'll have locked up first uh, or second, um, they might just have a rest and, and give guys like Ty, some of those guys who have bowled a lot of over his um, time, which would which would make it a really, really good matchup for Brisbane. Um, so just keep your eye on that. Um, you'll know more about it, I guess, off the back of firstly who Brisbane are going to pick um, when they play tonight uh, and who the Scorchers might um, also uh, uh, field given the results of the first game between the Sixers and Adelaide. So, yeah, just something to keep your eye out for. Yeah, and AJ Ty is one of them guys that you mentioned who, should they be in a position to rest players, uh, you'd think they'd be pretty happy to give Ty a bit of a spell there or maybe someone like a Jason Berendorf, particularly with Maddie Kelly doing so well this season, uh, waiting in the wings to a degree there. Uh, and just on Riley Meredith, I would just be cautious with him due to his injury history, particularly this season, two games in two days for the Hurricanes, so potential he gets a rest there. Although at the same time, the Hurricanes are going to be playing for a, a quite a key spot uh, around the finals. So... If it's a must-win game for them, which has every chance it will be, or an important one, uh, they'll probably want to play him, but uh, just tread with caution in terms of that one. Tomo, did you come up with a Sixers VC for us? Yeah, sure. I've, I've had a little thought. I've put a, sort of a ranking order for you. I think one would be Sean Abbott. Two, I just have a sneaky suspicion that DC will, will come good this round to be number two. Three, Philippi. Four, Dorcious. Uh, five, take your pick. Kerr, Moses, O'Keefe. So a ranking order like that for me at this stage. Maxi, what are your thoughts on that? Realistically, I think it's Abbott and Daylight, just given how involved he is in in, uh, the game. And we saw it last night. The bloke scored over 50 points. He faced one ball while he was batting. He took zero wickets and he didn't even bowl his three overs to get an economy rate bonus. It was just incredible. Catches, run-outs galore. But I do think the great thing, obviously, about the VC loophole is having um, two bites of the cherry. Um, You know, the Hobart and and Heat teams who are probably, you know, the the, the candidate where your candidate to back up, Steckity could be a very reliable captain choice. Um, And what that would mean is that you might be able to take a bit more of a risk with your VC. Um, And I'll tell you who did look very good last night was Josh Philippi, um, returning to form at the right time. So... Um, who knows? It might be the route that uh, that I take personally on my team, just knowing that I'm I'm desperately keen for something to set me apart and, and catapult me into that top 1K. Yeah, like flippers knocks in there. Boys, let's move on and have a little bit of a chat about the season uh, that has just been. Uh, if there were any sort of major lessons we learned from the season, I know Maxie's got a couple of good ones for us there. Uh, talk about our best and worst trades, any sort of key moments that define your season. Uh, Tom, I'll start with you, mate. Yeah, sure, mate. So, um, look, it sounds pretty obvious, and it is, but uh, this year, just like all seasons, but this year in particular, you can't have the perfect season where you bring in the right guys, you bench the right guys, fixture changes, postponements, rains, possible rains, looping, vice-captains, captains. I think you've got to know that you can't have the perfect season and you're not going to always make the right decisions. Um, but if you do enough things right, you could do okay. Look, this year, 
more than any other. You just had to roll with the punches, deal with the hands that you were dealt and not throw the toys out of the cot and just keep plugging away. I think those that did were rewarded. Look, roll, we've spoken about it before, but roll is so important in Supercoach. And it seems simple and obvious, but players with a good role, they score more consistently and higher scores than players in a poor role, even if the player is not as talented. It's just the little things for me, making sure they're bowling four overs consistently, batting up the order, no chance of a rest or an X factor, all those simple things. And uh, Maxi alluded to it earlier, but I think I agree. Form this year, form is crucial in Supercoach. Poor form can tend to follow you. Good form can last for a few matches. Really this year, trading in players who are performing well or just showing that slight upward tick before a double or before a key matchup really has been the way to go. Matt Short, before his early season double, he was good in round one and he continued that in round two. Benny McDermott, compared to Short and Wade, was in the best form before his double and... He was magnificent, that double. Even Alex Hales, who hasn't had the best tournament just before the Thunder double, he wasn't outstanding, but he looked a little bit better at the crease. So factoring that, combining with the matchups in the double against the Renegades and Hobart, that looks like a good trade-in. And I guess also, and I know Maxi will speak about this soon, but form not only returns, relates to players, sorry, it also relates to team form and um, picking players from a team that's in form has been a great, great, great uh, manoeuvre this year. Yeah, it's funny you, you reiterate that point of just rolls, rolls, rolls and how important they are chasing these all-rounders rather than the, the batsmen who are sort of high risk, um, high return, but very, very risky. You know, no matter how many times you tell yourself, you've just got to chase those blokes with the good rolls. And it's, it seems almost too simple to be true, but we would remind ourselves of it every single season. Mate, were there any key best, worst trades of the season, any key moments for you? Yeah, sure thing. I was having a little look, and I suppose one of the trades that I think I did best was all the way back actually in round two. I had Chris Jordan for the early season double for the Sixers, and in round two I um, changed him over to Ty. And Jordan, for me, was pretty disappointing considering um, his international quality and Ty was very playable for most of the season, consistently taking wickets. Um, he's been down the last couple of rounds, but overall, when I think about that trade, I think that worked out for me. And even when he got um, removed from the attack from bowling those beamers, he came out and saved his score with um, an innings of about 40-odd in very quick time. Not a trade as such, but I think starting with Bartlett, who just found a way to score points, whatever he was doing, um, was great until he was surprisingly dropped. Um, trading Josh Philippi when he was at his peak price, I'm um, going to give myself a tick for that. Um, recently looking at some trades, Alex Hales for Will Sutherland um, before the Thunder double um, looks very nice when I'm looking at my trade history because Hales went massive over that double. Um, Steckity bringing him in in time for the Heat double, uh, I can't remember exactly what round it was, but there was big rain concerns at the time. But I wanted him in because, as we've alluded to earlier on the podcast, he's a solid scorer and I captained him and he produced a nice score there. Um, and uh, I think I spoke about this on a recent podcast too, but the round nine chaos, lots of stuff was postponed. I had Nielsen on my bench scoring me a zero. 
There weren't many matches left, but I flipped Cooper Connolly to Matty Jilts, who scored some quick-fire runs and 52 supercoach points in a round where scores were quite low, and that was valuable. So there's some of my uh, better trades, I think, looking over my trade history. Like it, mate. Yeah, Matty Jilks, he's sort of oh, he's scratching the surface of something special, that kid. He's a talent, I reckon. Uh, and he's as we've seen him get going a little bit this season, but next season, look out for that bloke. Hey, Maxi, looking back on your season, mate, all the same questions, best, worst trades, what you learned, all that good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Timmy. Um, I'll go into more specific detail on the lessons in an article um, once the season's done on the website. Um, but just a couple of headlines for you, four key lessons. So first for me um, was there is such thing as a bad double game week. Um, it's something I think that a lot of people fall in love with, but you can go too hard on teams and you know poor teams in a double don't necessarily score better, um, particularly if they've got bad matchups. Uh, lesson number two, if they don't bowl, there's no such thing as a keeper. Um, this was the one that probably bit me um, almost the hardest. I'd say equally as hardest for the season was um, refusing to trade Josh Philippi for, for Ben McDermott before that double in round six, um, which really uh, bit me on the bottom um, and saw me drop 2.4K places in one round, which was pretty, pretty brutal. Um, number three, ride the hot hand. So this comes back to that point on form, and particularly if you've seen a guy do it twice in a row, it's okay to chase, um, particularly uh, if they've got a great break even as well, which makes them pretty risk-free. Um, and plenty of examples of, of guys who have done it um, three, four games in a row in this tournament style that we've seen. Um, and the fourth lesson, and this is one um, I think your point, Tomo, on Andrew Ty just really resonated with me, and I've mentioned that a, a couple of times on the podcast as well. Um, uh, and the point is um, bowlers from the best side. So the three highest scoring teams, you know, for the whole season, we know who they are, and it reflect it's reflected on the table as well, the Scorchers, Sixers, and Thunders. Um, one of the reasons that they earn the most Supercoach points each week is because they're taking the most wickets and their bowling attack are really what has led them to the top of the table. Um, and just making sure that you can grab a piece of that bowling attack, it really just gives you the best chance for, for maximum points. So guys like Ty, who personally, that round two trade, I was 6K short of it. I, I remember um, looking to that very very closely, um, and I had to go Zahir Khan, um, who ended up being an okay trade-in, um, made me 50K and average, you know, almost 50 um, from between round two and round six, but, you know, I, I couldn't get Ty, and that's that's really haunted me the whole season. Um, Mills, Agar, going early on Agar, geez, a guy who we just, I, I couldn't trust because of how bad he's been in seasons in the past, but Kim for like 90K at the start of the year, looks like almost one of the buyers of the year. Um, Kelly, Abbott, Dorcious, you know, when, when, when Curran went down, I rushed back Rashid Khan. Um, and look, don't get me wrong, he's been okay, but the, the the logical move in hindsight was going, okay, well, who bowls death for the best team in the comp of the sixes? Well, it's going to be Sean Abbott, who now bats seven. And if I had picked him up at that point, there's no way I'd be 1.5K in the rankings, but I'd, I'd, be, a, I'd be a lot higher. Um, so those they're, they're, those are my four lessons. No, so There is such thing as a bad double game week. No such thing as a keeper if they don't bowl. Ride the hot hand and get bowlers from the best sides. Mate, serious insights there. Looking forward to the article. Love the – and you touched on it in a previous article about those double game weeks. If you're a trash team with trash players, it doesn't mean you're a good, good super coach option just because you've got the double game week. Uh, such a big thing to look at there. Tomo? Yeah, I just want to actually credit Maxi because I remember him uh, alerting us to the fact that he wanted to bring in time. was just short. And it actually, I hadn't really considered him, but then I looked at what trades I could do. 
and I could do Chris Jordan for Andrew Ty. So, Maxie, I'll credit you there, mate. Um, that was one I'll certainly put down to you. Uh, thinking about some, um, I suppose the listeners also want to hear about um, some of our moments where we didn't go the right direction or zigged when we sort of zagged. Look, I had Inglis and Way opening batters over the double game round who didn't score nearly as well as I was anticipating. I started with Chris Lynn and Majeev, and that was not successful. And there's three sort of moments, I guess, that stand out for me that, you know, if I'd gone a different option, I'm not one that looks back and calculates about missed points and looking at overall rankings and how far I'm away, but I wonder if I'd done a different option with these three moments, what I would be currently ranked. So they're kind of early season-ish decisions, but round two, Matty Short did a great job in round one, and I was thinking, yeah, he's done a good job, but... I don't like chasing points. I don't like playing the break-even game. I'm going to bring in Siddle and I'm not going to bring in Short. Siddle's got that better point-scoring death role. I think Matty Short might have top-scored for the round um, with bat and then did a little bit of bowling. And then I think that was the game Munro scored 100 against Adelaide and Adelaide might have taken one wicket for the match. So that was not a good option. Round three, uh, I had Marsh as my final trade-in before the game and I was looking and then I think I was thinking about my round two trade of Siddle over short and then I just went Munro because he had a negative break-even, was coming off the 100. I was watching the 100 and I was like, yes, he did get a 100, but he was a bit poor and he looked shaky early and he got dropped a couple of times. So I went Munro over Marsh and Marsh was just huge. So I suppose there's something to be said about being flexible and agile with your trading, but if you've got some initial trades, probably you should stick to them most of the time. The last one too, Sam's on the bench during the first Sydney versus Sydney game. Rain predicted, benched him. He came out and scored 90-odd, um, and I couldn't get him, and I had to play someone like Will Sutherland or someone, that, so I missed a lot of points there. And Those are three moments where, yeah, I didn't make the right call. Yeah, mate, some rough ones there. Colin Munro's one you bring up there. He, I don't think he's done super great, just too many favours. Just the way probably more the Scorchers draw worked out than anything. He got that ton just before their double. Everyone got him in. He flopped and offered nothing. People held him for a, for a while there. Uh, he came good a little bit later on, but I know me personally, Munro has absolutely killed me at times this season. A uh, couple of the good and bad moments. The best one for me, and I think this is one that – really defined the season for a lot of super coaches and probably where they're sitting in the rankings at the moment was that decision to hold or sell Philippi at 260k when he could not put a foot wrong. Uh, I I jumped off him. I know the spy jumped off him at the same time. Uh, I brought him back in for last night's game. Earned about 140k in the process. Hardly got a run in between and he went tunned up in Supercoach again last night. So that was a big one. Uh, went early for Mitch Marsh when he got his ton before the Scorchers double. So a lucky one there. Uh, one that really killed me was the New Year, I think it was a New Year's Eve clash or around about there when that Sixers game got washed out. I brought in Christian and Abbott for that round. Uh, I think the beers got the better of me and I could not concentrate trying to do my trades under pressure. Uh, absolutely cracked. So that one hurt, although Christian did pay it back in the coming weeks. Uh, sold Rashid Khan a couple of rounds ago and missed his big score, his six far. Uh, I do want to have a shout out to Guthrie. The week that the Heat had their double where he got hit for record BBL figures of two for 70-odd, 
And we talked about the importance of roles. He just could not get a thing right, that poor game, the poor kid. And I rate him as a cricketer. Um, bowled the last over of the innings, took two wickets. He might have taken a catch and ended up with like 55-odd super coach points. So shout out to Guthrie. In terms of things I learned, um, you boys have touched on all the key things there. But the one for me was, and it was a decision I, I toyed with at the start of the season, but just starting the season with an AE loop at wicketkeeper, <clears throat> I sort of went against it because I was chasing the all right cash generation rather than that AE loop opportunity. But to have an AE loop opportunity at wicketkeeper, boy, I think it's important. And there were options to do it, such as Seb Gotch and a couple of others early on. Uh, I really regret not doing that. By the time I realised I wanted it, it was only a few rounds back where we sort of got the five trades and it sort of became irrelevant and we didn't need to have the opportunity there because there were other options. But yeah, the AE loop at wicketkeeper, I think it's a go up from round one. Maxie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty good. Um, I know that I spoke to a lot of people about that exact point um, pre-season. My logic was you could get Nielsen for not much more money than Seb Gotch and look at him in the double game week. And I think he might have scored 50-odd in that first double game week for the strikers, which was, um, which was okay. Um, but look, in hindsight, has he been worth having around um, for most of the season? No, not really. Um so it's it's definitely not the worst tactic. Um, ultimately, I think I got a lot of personally out of having um, Cooper Connolly, aka Looper, um, on my uh, in my squad for for most of the year. The first six rounds, I used him. I think every single week mm. to to loop in um, either a VC or just someone from from one of my benches. So um, certainly a tactic worth uh, worth keeping an eye on. Um, I'm also happy to talk about some my worst trades too if everyone wants to feel a bit better about themselves because I've got two good ones if you want, Timmy. Mm. I love them. All right, so um, buckle up. And these are also (laughs) closely associated with a lot of the lessons that that I've picked up from this year. So um, firstly for me, round three, which was the Stars double game week. Now, um, I had a look at the Stars and the signs were there that they weren't um, quite performing. We'd seen some pretty poor scores already out of Zampa and Stoinis, um leading into the round um, and, and a bit of a low score from Dreyrus, um, who remember him? Jeez, it feels like a long time ago he was here, doesn't it? Um, I think he scored about I think he scored about 18 in his first game. But um, with my three trades, um, I, I brought in Dreyrus, Stoinis and Zampa. Um, Dre Russ was like 180k, Stoinis 150, Zampa 150. Um, and you know, I, I ignored Mitch Marsh in the process because I just thought, I've got to, got to play the double. I think it'll be really good. I already had Maxi, maybe one other star. Um, in those three, the three stars in the two games combined scored 171 points. Um, Stoinis only scored 34, Zampa just 42. Um, and in that one Marsh game, he scored 165, um, leading into his double. Um, and that was a really, really big defining moment for my season because apart from just the two stinking scores in particular from Stoinis and Zampa, um, they both lost a lot of money um, and it meant that they weren't really great people to trade out. Um, and that value that they lost um, actually ended up coming to bite me um, in my later lesson. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately I chose to, hell, to hold the stars because they were poor value. It meant I was trading out death bowlers and guys that I actually liked to try and get in good targets. Um, and when it came to round six, um, because I only had those low value stars, um, particularly after another value for them in the single game week in round five, um, I couldn't afford McDermott. Um, so not being able to afford McDermott really hurt. Um, but, you know, 
and I've, I've spoken about that and everyone knows what he did, 348 points. Um, but the big, 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 big lesson for me was um, because I couldn't afford McDermott, um, and I was a little bit worried about the rain on the heat. Um, I didn't bring in anyone from the heat, and I only had Guthrie. And then when I VC'd old mate Matty Wade, uh, and he scored about four points or something <laughs> in the first game, um, I didn't have anyone to put the C on. I was in a lot of chat groups with people panicking because they had all VC'd Matt Wade, and they're all going, oh, crap, crap, what do we do? All of them had the um, foresight, and Tommy, you warned me about this, um, to put it on a heat bowler. Um, Steckity was the choice, and he ended up being the second highest scoring player for that week. I think he might have scored over 200 points for, for the round six double. So um, while you know missing McDermott was obviously the cherry on the cake, not having someone from the double game week to put the C on um, was just such a rookie move for me. I think I got a bit cocky. Um, because the the Hobart team had played pretty well in that first uh, in the game leading into that double, um, I scored six hundred for the round. There were scores of fourteen hundred, and that's when I dropped two point four thousand places. Ooh. So there, a couple of shocking trades, and yeah, uh, yeah a lot of lessons for for the year ahead. Yeah, uh, it's it's a good point there Ooh. on McDermott. I spoke about Philippi being that sliding doors moment, holding selling him at his peak price. McDermott was another one, and mate, unfortunately. Fortunately, you're on the receiving end of that one as well. Probably the two big ones for the season. Anyone who missed McDermott for his tons in that double game week, fair dinkum, some serious points up there. So that was a big one. <clears throat> well, let's move on from that one. Uh, guys, if you do like a punt, check out topsport.com.au, home of the best same-game multi in the business where the odds actually add up. Uh, we'll be back to preview their markets for the NRL and AFL seasons every single week. Last year with our NRL punting previews, we finished up over, I think it was 108% return on investment. Uh, So hopefully we can replicate that going into 2022. And if you are keen to get on board, use the code SCPLAYBOOK if linking up. 18 plus only and gamble responsibly. Guys, let's jump into our season awards. We've got a few categories here to get through. I will preface it by saying that I gave you two both a bit of a heads up not to give Maddie Short too many awards because he arguably could have got just about every single one of these awards. Um, so we'll go through them one by one and see what we've come up with. We'll start with the coveted player of the year. Tomo, who took out the points for you? Sure thing. So my player of the year, um, even though he only played a handful of games, he's averaging over 100. So Mitch Marsh is sort of my winner. But then I went back on myself. I said, nah, you haven't played enough games, so you're ineligible. <laughs> And then it went to Sean Abbott. So apart from eight against the Hurricanes early in the season, I don't know what he scored last night, but apart from his eight, um, it was 58 was his lowest score, which is just incredible. So many big scores. He plays for the side I barrack for, so the yes, there's a bit of bias there. Look, I can't believe I haven't had him in my side at any stage in the season. The Sixers even started the year on a double and he's an absolute jet, but there was sort of some conjecture about will he miss games because he's about to have become a father. I think he only missed sort of one game or something like that in the end. I'm just so happy that I get to bring him in uh, for the last round double. So my player of the year goes to Sean Abbott. Watch him flop for the last round doubles. <clears throat> doubles. Tomo brings him in. <clears throat> Sorry, voice on the way out there. Um, Maxi, who'd you come up with? Very hard to, to argue with Tomo, um, and I did like the look of Mitch Marsh as well just because um, what he did in that 
small body of work was amazing. Um, but for me, I had to give it to Ben McDermott. Um, very, very, very rare, I think, that you can find a batter um, with his level of consistency. Um, and I just think that the way that he has changed um, his game around to um, get his eye in, see off the, the, the best bowlers and then just be brutal um, in the uh, latter stages of an innings have just been so, so, so impressive to watch. 200s, he's got a 90 in there as well and, and then a couple of half centuries to boot. Um, I think for more than anything, I don't think any one player has impacted a, a season of uh, Supercoach as much as he did in that round six double game week where he scored 347 points. Um, I think that was just the most immense performance ever. Um, defining moment for so many coaches, the, the haves and the have-nots, and that's why he gets the award from me. Yep, Benny was the one that sort of my mind went to initially when I thought about this award as well. Uh, but then I went back into the stats, and as good as he's been, four scores of 0, 8, 11, and 28 in between his uh, unbelievable efforts and innings there. Uh, made eye to Sean Abbott as well, so I'm with Tomo there. 88 points per game average, just consistency. One score under 50 all season, three tonnes, including a 181. Uh, just hard to argue. As you said, you sort of thought back and think, oh, didn't play that many games. He actually did in the end. He played a stack of them, as Tom I alluded to. So, Shawnee Abbott is just the gift that keeps on giving. Boys, cheapy of the year, and you could go a lot of different ways about this. Cheapy of the year, we're talking sort of sub maybe 100K, maybe sub 80K. Uh, Tom, who'd you find? Yeah, sure thing. There are a few options depending on your definition, and there were lots of good players around that 60, 62,500 mark that did awesome that I think you boys might select. But when I was going cheapy, I just went, look, who at a low price actually had some job security, scored some points? And for me, that was um, Couch from the Stars. He was the cheap price. He got scores to start the season of 50, 33, 99, 25, 74, and 59. He was probably the only cheapie that was playable early for those trying to hold some big guns on a buy. So personally, my cheapie of the year goes to Couch. Mate, I brought Couch in this week and I'm terrified that Coulton Isles coming back tonight and going to take his spot. Um, but it's a fair play because he's been very good. Maxie, who do you come up with? Yeah, I haven't owned Couch all year. Um, not the type of guy who I know nothing about who I was prepared to bring in in round one, but geez, he's, he's, he's been pretty bloody good. Um, I found it amazing when looking at the stats in terms of overall points this year that um, after round 11, there was actually three cheapies inside the top 10 total scorers for the year, which I thought was pretty Jeez. amazing. Um, Rogers, really impressive down in Hobart for a guy who I just had absolutely no opinion of. Um, Jason Sanger, hottest of hot streaks. Um, but for me, it's got to be that man, Matt Short, um, 62.5K to start the year. Even lost his uh, DPP before this season just because of either how poor or how little he's bowled uh, in the past. Um, but look, he really delivered on having the plum roll. Um, and, you know, I, I think for a guy who's going to be almost uh, 200K, I think, or maybe over 200K now um, to finish this current round, I think the best part about it was the fact that he started cheap, he peaked in price, he dropped price, and now he's picked in price again. So we've really been able to ride those price rises twice um, for the coaches who sort of traded him in and out. So, yeah, Matty Short gets it for me. Yeah, he's the standout in that one for sure. Mate, you've really become a Tommy Rogers fanboy this season, haven't you? No, well, it's um, it's hard to ignore his body of work. Um, a, a guy who just looked completely out of his depth in previous seasons, like 
looked really, really, really ordinary. But gee, he's um he's done really well for Hobart. I think he misses Nathan Ellis, but yeah, he he's a decent player, mate. I think you 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 might have to finally admit that after all these years. Yeah, he's doing all right, isn't he? Uh, for me, and mine's a bit of a controversial one. I mean, short's the obvious one, but as I said, we can't give him every award. Xavier Bartlett. Uh, it's a bit controversial, but the way I see it is, from a super coach perspective, started the year with a bang, started quite cheap. He hit 200K at about round seven. From there, he hasn't played a lot. Um, but by that point, he's averaging 71 points per game. Granted, he done a lot of that uh, scoring with the bat as opposed to the ball, which is his real job. Um, so I think... If you started the year with Bartlett or got him pretty early on, you made that tons of cash, sold him off, and then he hasn't played since. I don't care. He's done his job in Supercoach. So for me, Xavier Bartlett, who just deserved to mention in this one. Boys, interesting one here. Flop of the year. There probably is a standout, but gee, there's, some, uh, there's a lot of people you could go to here as there is each and every year. Tomo, who was your flop of the year? Yeah, sure. I've actually got a joint winner. So uh, first one would go to Chris Lynn who, you know, traditionally you think of him as a rocks or diamonds player, but last year he found some unreal consistency, total opposite this year, and you're always scared not to own him um, because he could go so large, but his best days, unfortunately, for BBL lovers may be behind him. Scores of 4, 7, 10 and 13, and 36 in that opening round double when he was a popular player. Hopefully, for Brisbane's sake, as they push towards the finals, he can find something. But, yeah, he's been disappointing this year. And the other winner, because I couldn't really split them, was um, Marcus Stoinis. Super coach royalty in years gone by. Ridiculous when batting and bowling. The last couple of years, ridiculous when just batting. But averaging barely double-digit super coach points, and it might have been just one in their first match of their double, Granted, injuries and COVID haven't helped, but uh, I suppose when I thought of Stornis this tournament and his highlight was calling out Mitch Marsh on the TV for having an enormous melon, you probably haven't had <laughs> your, best, um, your best game or your best talent on the field. Um, but if depending on what his price tag, because I presume will be pretty low next year, first player selected. So Stornis and Lynn haven't had their best years for me. Two huge names on that list. Next year, as you said, Marcus Stoinis is going to be so cheap. He, oh, how good. Uh, Maxi Boy. Yeah, um, hard to argue with, with Tomo on this one. I think for me, my methodology when looking at the flop of the year wasn't just average, but also just looking at price rise, uh, sorry, price drops, and there were some monsters in there. Um, I really wanted to give it to Majib um, off the top of my head just because of um, he sucked so much in that first round double game week when everyone had him as their skipper. Um, but when I actually looked at his uh, scores, he ended up kind of riding the ship a little bit and ended the season with a 38 average um, despite it being as low as 23, I think, for, for most of the season up until um, essentially his, his rise was, came at the same time at Steckity returned to the team, which, um, which was surprising. Um, a, a couple of guys who have finished the tournament, special mentions, um, James Pattinson lost $84,000 in value. Um, he was, he started at a super premium price of 160 k And the last time he played Supercoach, he averaged 65 for the season. This year, just 18. Um, looked terrible and, and looked pretty disinterested and has ultimately um, you know, left the tournament. Um, Harry Brook as well, special shout-out. Just another absolute on-the-nose player, um, international player for the Hobart Hurricanes. Like, 
I don't know where they find these blokes, but geez, they can pick a shocker. And and just to indulge me for a second, I just hate how these guys come in, play terribly, and then take the spot of a local player who <laughs> could be developing their game, like Caleb Jewell or um, uh, Mac Wright. Like it just really grinds my gears. Um, but yep, absolute winner for this, and he could still write the ship. But Marcus Stoinis, mate. First player picked last year, but geez, what a flop of a season. And I do feel really sorry for him and the Melbourne Stars. They look absolutely shot to pieces, but um, can't ignore the scores. He's been absolutely uh, terrible. Um, Has he been in my team every single round he's played? Uh, Almost. Um, But, you know, (laughs) that's, uh, that's, that's my fault, not his. I think next season we need to have a separate podcast just for Maxie, just to speak into the microphone and just vent vent all his thoughts he has for the <laughs> week. Right, there'd be a lot of blokes who I think would want to have podcasts just like that when it comes to <laughs> Supercoach season. But, you know, next next season I'm going to win it all. That's the plan. No, mate, I'd never doubt you. Uh, for me, you've touched on a few blokes there and, and it was, I was a bit the same. I wanted to say sort of your Adam Zampers, your Mujibs as well, uh, probably guys that have been victim of being the better bowlers in their side but not having much of a target to defend. Oppositions have been able to work them around and play with them and sort of limited their wicket-taking opportunities. Uh, when you compare them to some of the other blokes we've mentioned, they're not even in the same category. So it was Marcus Stoinis for me. Six knocks this season. Scores of 13, 31, 3, 18, 0 and 1. I do have him in my team for the double this week. So let's hope he can come out and put a few runs on the board and finish with a bang for us this season. Uh Boys, surprise packet of the year. I mean, Matty Shorts, again, probably an obvious one here. Tomo, who have you come up with? Yeah, my one uh, nominee here is Jason Sanger. He hadn't played BBL for a couple of years. He comes into the side from nowhere, bats at three, ultra consistent, ends up captaining, captaining the side, some sneaky overs and wickets uh, occasionally. High average, really not a poor score in sight. Um, he was, I successfully anti-potted him for the Thunder double, but jeepers, I wish he was in my side before that because he was really great. I think our mate Spy jumped on fairly early on the piece and was rewarded. So surprise packet of the year for me is Jason Sanger. Like it. Maxi. Yeah, it's a very good shout, Tomo. Um, Jason Sang is one of those guys who I, I, I think we're always still shocked um, at how good he looks. But um, and honestly, one of those guys who will help um, instill the, one of the learnings from this year in terms of um, following the form. But um, for me, I have gone with a guy who has uh, before last night was averaging fifty four for the season. Um, that bowl and plays for the club that um, I love, and that is Hayden Kerr. Um, I think he's been nothing short of exceptional all year. He, he's bad. He, he's barely bowled a bad ball. Um, every single game, he seems to pick up wickets, um, takes catches in the field, contributes well with the bat when he's called upon. Um, a real fine for the Sydney Sixers. Um, they seem to always have a guy who's about the 18th person on their roster who's got a lot of potential but doesn't always get games. You know, for three or four seasons, that was Henry Thornton. Um, and we've seen what he's done this round for the Adelaide Strikers when he's got a crack. But um, they've found one in Hayden Kerr. Um, didn't have him in the round one team given um, I thought Ben Menenti would, would get a spot ahead of him. Uh, but he's played every single game for the Sixers, I believe, um, and has just been amazing to watch and turned himself into a very, very, very classy player and a guy who's been playable even in single game weeks. 
Yeah, terrific shout, and I feel bad now because I overlooked him, but definitely deserves it, but good to be a little different anyway. I went with a bloke who only played six games, but Matty Kelly I thought was outstanding. Every opportunity he got this season, averaging 69.5 supercoach points. He's gone, I think, 56K, um, and just really impressed me. Unfortunately, he's been in that scorcher side, which have, I mean, arguably the best quick bowling stocks in the country. Time when Mills came in there as well, so... Just found it hard to get a run, Matty Kelly, but he's, a, he's an outstanding cricketer, uh, and I hope that sort of going forward he gets more of an opportunity. Um, being stuck behind, you know, Mills, Berendorf, Ty, all these blokes. Uh, it's a tough system to crack over there, but also, again, a credit to the, the depth of the, the WA bowling stocks there. Um, boys, most improved. Tomo. Yeah, this is where I've got my Matt Short mentioned, my one and only Matt Short, Matt Short mentioned in uh, awards for the year. He's been around the BBL scene for a number of years now, leading into the year, role, form, job security. There were so many question marks, um, especially if you've watched BBL for a few seasons, but opening the batting and the bowling regularly now, four overs consistently, aggressive. So if he gets past 20, there is strike rate bonuses there. Look, plenty was made of Adelaide missing Phil Salt as the aggressive opener, but Short has done an unbelievable job. Four scores over 100. I don't think that includes last round where he was, again, sensational. Maxie, I know you were a fan and talking him up the whole time. I just think Matt Short has been unbelievable. So shout out to him. Just absolutely incredible. Come from nowhere. Just I can't think of a season like that um, in recent memory. Fantastic stuff. I wish I had him, as I said, over Siddle in round two, but at least I learned my lesson halfway through the year. Outstanding. Yeah, good one, mate. I gave it to him as well. I started with him. I think I've had him all season, basically. I don't think he's left my side. Uh, I was actually going to clip up from an earlier podcast just Maxi's just demolishing of Matt Short and his super coach <laughs> credentials. Uh, ultimately, I was too lazy to do it and go back and find it, but uh, that's who I gave it to. Maxi, any response, mate? No, look, he's um he's really proved me wrong, um, which I'm uh, and you know I've been proved wrong a lot of times this Supercoach season, which is I guess um, always very humbling. But um, I think what what has been so good about him is that he's actually improved his game throughout this season. Um, yes, he started hot, he scored runs, he was bowling an overall two, but halfway through the season, um, and you know, and much to my delight, he did get found out. Um, he had it, his draw was impeccable to start the season. He played the Renegades twice, who we know you know how poor they are. Um, and when he came up against those good sides like the Sydney Sixers, um, they didn't respect his bowling, um, and they were able to kind of dismiss him pretty quickly. And um, to get a little bit X's and O's, um, in those first early matches, he was out a lot of times to spin bowlers floating one wide outside of off stump, where he was too slow to get onto the back foot and was being caught behind by the wicketkeeper. He was out that way about three or four times within his first six or seven games. Um, but since that, this shows the skill of the bloke. He's actually gone away and worked on that specific shot, and he's no longer trying to hit boundaries. He's just trying to play that one out to the sweeper um, at point, take a single, and that's the sign of a class player, someone who can identify a weakness in his game, um, improve upon it, 
Um, and look, if, if this is the basis for a fantastic BBL uh, career um, from this point on, then I'll very, very happily eat my words because he's just a joy to watch. Um, you love guys who are genuine all-rounders or are in the games. He'll have DPP next year um, and will just about be one of the first players picked, you'd have to think. So, yeah, well done, Matt Short. Mate, I get proven wrong on countless times and my opinions are wrong, but... The difference between you and I is that I hide him away, lock him in the cupboard, don't bring him out again. Anytime you do say anything marginally wrong, you bring it up for people to know about. Yeah, well, I think that's what I'm trying to bring to the uh, bring to the table. You know, if people can learn from my mistakes, then and hopefully avoid them myself. Then I'm doing my job. You're far too good a blade to be hanging out with me in the spy, mate. Um, <laughs> hey, Maxie, who was your what were out most improved? That was him, Matty Short. And, you know, we've spoken about those names that have come up time and time again. Rogers Sanger. I'd even throw Ashton Anger in there as, as an honourable mention, just given um, he's just been, he's finally shown that form in the Big Bash that he has for Australia at T20 level. Um, batted and bowled and looked fantastic. But, yeah, Matt Short, come from nowhere. I, I can still distinctly remember a conversation with someone in the preseason where, there was questions. So we pick Matt Short. What about Matt Short? What about Matt Short? And someone, <laughs> I won't, I won't name drop them. It wasn't me this time. Actually, said, I feel like we've all been here before with Matt Short. And it was just, it's just every single year we look at this guy. He's massive. He's meant to be an all rounder, and 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 we we asked the question, but this year he finally answered it. So yeah, he's definitely the most improved. We'll have to name the uh, the most improved uh, award after Matt Short in following years. I think so. Yeah, um, agree. Tomo, your Super Coach performance of the year. Yeah, um, look, for me, it was McDermott over that Hurricanes double, 340-odd points. And if he was your captain to that round, just incredible. There are a few other big scores, but I think performing that over double gets my mention. Um, if you think about as well, because there were some big hitting batsmen, you know, Wade, Short and Lynn on doubles that round. And then when we factor in, I don't want to bring up old wounds to Maxi, but the <laughs> predicted rain for the Brisbane <laughs> double, you know, some people didn't have a backup pick. So it meant there were some really low captain scores. If you captain McDermott that round, hats off, you were cheering, well done. Performance of the round, McDermott in the Hurricanes double, unbelievable stuff. Yep, good one there, mate. Uh, Maxi? Yeah, look, it's... It's pretty hard to look past Ben McDermott because I think that that 347 was just about a record, um, but I am going to look past it. Um, and I think we're going to swap um, our awards this time, Tom, because I've actually given this one to Sean Abbott for his 181 points against the Brisbane Heat. Um, yes, there were a couple of performances bigger, um, even Rashid's 187 last round. Um, but for me, I don't think there's ever been um, one player who has ticked as many different columns within the uh, Supercoach scoring box. And, and have a listen to these. 37 runs, 80 points in wickets, 10 points in wicket bonus, 9 dot balls, 5 economy rate bonus, 20 in catches and 20 in run out. So he's just about done it all. And I think that what was most compelling about that was even just looking at the real life situation of that match when they were 8 for nothing and he and Benny Dorsius steered the Sixers to um, a very, very, very improbable victory um, at the SCG. So Sean Abbott gets my uh, vote for performance of the year. That is one of the great all-round performances, as you said, ticking out just every single box there and exactly what you want in the Supercoach player. Uh, I'll go a little bit different and no arguments with either of those. Could have gone either way. And I think, as you said, Benny McDermott getting the double tons in, in a week where a lot of people captained as well. Pretty hard to beat. Uh, I'll go through Shin Khan's 187 the other week. Six for 17, 14 dot balls. Added to it 14 runs with a couple of sixes. Um, 
Granted, it was against the Heat, I believe, so that doesn't say too much. But uh, in Supercoach, it doesn't matter who it's against. Points are points. I was not an owner, and it's going to burn me for a long time because I sold him, I think, a round or two before. Uh, but Rashid Khan, 6 for 17, that is just absurd figures and what a cricketer he is. Boys, we'll wrap the awards up with a coach's award. Basically, a player that you feel deserved a bit of, a bit of recognition but might not have slotted into a category elsewhere. Tomo? Yeah, sure. I think I've got, again, joint winners here. I think you boys have mentioned them already. Um, Ashton Agar, by far and away his best tournament. I think he played run round one when we weren't expecting him to and he's expected to be yep. around Australia A. Nice and cheap prices at 90 or 95. He's chipped away with nice scores. Look, lowest of 18, which is not great, but many really decent scores. Two over 100, that bad bowl flexibility. I got rid of him a few rounds ago, but I've really enjoyed watching him, whether he's in my side or not in my side. So he's the first winner. And the second um, is Barton from the Heat. Again, similar sort of starting price, just under 100. Heat were on the early double. He did it bat ball in the field. Early days, others in his team on the double flopped, but he was really, really good. Big, massive score over 100 on the double and then some great scores doing, again, bit with bat, bit with ball. He was expensive with the ball a couple of times, but I really still can't figure out why he was dropped when he was an all-round contributor in a team that was not firing all cylinders. So Coach's Award goes to Agar and Bartlett. Very, very good. Maxi Bryden, Coach's Award. Yeah, look, a couple of honourable mentions off the bat. Mark Steckity, um, I just I can never get over just how low this guy's ownership is for a guy who uh, has had a, a, an amazing season, but not just this season. Um, he's had several of them, um, averaging 83. Kane Richardson as well, massive shout-out to him, um, averaging 65 in a shocking team in the Melbourne Renegades. We thought maybe they were going to be better this year finally, but not to be, but he just continues to get it done, and I'm very much looking forward to bringing him uh, from my pine into the starting side for the double game week next round. Um, but I had joint winners, uh, and they were very similar to Tomo's. Um, Xavier Bartlett, 71 average, and James Baisley, a 62 average. So both of these guys started, I think, on everyone's radar for round one, purely as a play for the double game week. And um, for many, it was kind of like an either-or. You could you could own one because they were just under 100K, um, and it looked like they were going to be basically competing for a role once the Heat had a few guys rejoin the team um, for that number seven and number eight player. Um, and look, all we hoped for them was for a few points um, in the double game week and maybe a little bit of cash generation before sort of getting rid of them. But ultimately, these guys scored like superstars all season. So they've both taken a decent amount of wickets with 11 each, better than one per match. But um, it's the handy runs that they've both scored, which have just been priceless for, for Supercoach. Um, and I think just for context as well, Baisley's 62 average is the same as Dan Sam's. And he started 100K cheaper. Um, and Bartlett was the same price, and he's averaging nine points better than that. So just have a think about that 200 grand that we spent on Dan um, ahead of round one and just think about how you'd be feeling if you'd, if you'd invested that into those um, heat stocks, you know. They're, they're, they're doing better than Bitcoin, those two. <laughs> just a, a little shout-out to that man, Dan Sams, who ridiculous to think Bartlett is averaging that many more than him. But... Seriously, for a bloke who we look back and think, oh, he had a pretty underwhelming season, probably wasn't at his best, uh, and we talk about how good his super coach role is, averaging, what, yeah, 62 points per game, which is very good, one score under 30 all season, two tons. The bloke is just super coach gold, Maxie. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's another kind of lesson for me. Um, I think other people probably know this already, but um, this is like a lesson in maths. If you get two 40s, um, you know, we sit here and we get cranky that he's not, you know, blowing the house down. Then if he gets a, a hundred, then that's an average of 60. Yeah. And an, an average of 60 is good. Um, I don't think that there's any format of game, maybe NRL Supercoach wingers, um, where we get such regular um, fluctuations in our superstars. And uh, that's just a thing for me with like guys like him for next year is just to be patient because I think I sat there every week and wanted to rage trade. But look, you know, you'll definitely take a 62 average. Yeah, bloody oath. Uh the one for me, and Maxi touched on him already, but Kane Richardson, 65 points per game average. He had one score under 37 all season, seven of nine rounds. He scored 57 plus. Playing in a trash team, often has no score to defend as a bowler or doesn't get his full allotment of overs. Um, people avoided him because the Renegades didn't have that double till very late in the season. But the bloke, speaking of Supercoach Gold and just delivering time and time again, if he ever gets plays in a good side and has big totals to defend, mate, he'll average 100, Maxi. Yeah, absolutely he will. And look, credit to you. You identified him in the preseason several times as a guy who was of interest. Um, I think for me, I, I overlooked the Renegades for, for, for several reasons, mostly them being trash. But as a team that didn't have a buy, um, I am a little bit sad that we didn't treat them with the same respect that we did the Sixers and Thunder players who also didn't have buys um, all season because owning him from the start, I think his price was about 150k. Um, could have could have set up the team really really nicely. Yeah, such a beast. Uh, that wraps up the awards, boys. I'll throw out a post across our social media channels in the coming days. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on your award winners for all of those. So jump in and please answer that one for us. Fellas, a few social questions to wrap it up. Thank you for dropping these in throughout the season. First question from Paul Kelly. Maxie, he asks for your thoughts on AJ Ty. He says he's held for a while without much reward. Is he a bloke you'd be holding for the final round on the Scorchers double or a bloke you'd be happy to move on? It's a very tough question, but my gut says sell. Um, I think for his price, despite the fact that he's been an absolute weapon this year, um, the Scorchers, we just don't know what side they're going to turn up with um, in their final match of the season. Um, they don't need any more points to finish in the top two. And there's every chance that they're resting players or giving Hardy overs over him like they did last match. So um, I would be selling. Um, yeah, absolutely, I would be selling. Fair play. Stevie Soden, a great supporter of the podcast. Hey, lads, thanks for the great podcast and all the hard work this year. Our pleasure, mate. Would love to know your must-haves for the final round, if you have any. Tomo, any blokes who stick out as must-haves for this upcoming round? Yeah, look, all the obvious ones, Shawnee Abbott, McDermott, Kane Richardson, um, Bartlett and Steckity from the Heat. I've just, I've got nothing to base it on, but I've just got a slight feeling or a very, very slight worry that the Heat might do something funky with their bowling lineup and start someone as an X-Factor or something. The other one, I think, and I'm not sure if this will polarise people, but I think Dan Christian, two games. I think the Sixers' batting lineup is weakened at the moment, especially when you think about they started with Vince and Silk. I think he'll get some overs in with the bat when they're trying to push, push, push for a high spot. And I think he'll also, whilst he's not guaranteed to bowl lots of overs, I think he will get two or three when the Sixers are really serious. So DC, I think, as well as uh, must have. 
Talk about old rocks or diamonds, Dan Christian. Not through any fault of his own, purely just his role. He'll bowl four overs one week, then none the next week. Another week he'll face 12 overs. The next week he won't get a bat. He's a hard bloke to catch. Uh, were there anyone on that must-have list for you, Maxi? I think they're fantastic names, Tomo. Um, I don't know if there's anyone necessarily jumping out. Um, I do really like the looks of Meredith. Um, he bowled absolute wheels um, last match for the Hobart Hurricanes and against the Renegades and Melbourne Stars. Um, could could go ballistic um, against some, some pretty brutal batters. Um, and then, look, the, the only other thing for me is just, and this is purely personal, but um, just thinking about those those rules that I've been trying to establish for myself, all those lessons I've learned, and then thinking about the hot hand. Um, Moses looks in good touch. Uh, he bullied the Thunder batters last night, um, as he did the Renegades the match before. So two scores in a row tells me that he's in a really good place again um, with his stick after the, his little COVID break. So um, a guy that I'll be looking very, very closely at. Don't know if I'd be prepared to necessarily talk anyone else into him, but um, look, follow the form. Um, it's it's paid off uh, this season um, when you found those guys. Philippi as well, another guy potentially. So yeah, that's that, that's what I do. Yeah, certainly not a must-have, Moe Enriquez, but he's a guy that I, I think we can probably get in a bit of pod status next round uh, with mass upside. So yeah, I'm pretty tempted by Moe actually. Uh, boys, last question from Murray Wood, uh, another legend and great supporter of the podcast. After I make my five trades for the final round, I'll have three single game players left, two of which will have to be in my 11. Which three would you keep and which two would you play in your 11? The names are, and I, hopefully you've got them in front of you, but Joe Clark, Maxi, Cartwright, Zampa, Short, that's Matt Short, Siddle, Sanger, Hales and Sand. Great podcast, boys. Thanks heaps. Uh, Tom, do you have those names in front of you? I do. All right, uh, so keep three and play two. Sure thing. So, look, Short and Sam's are those gold, gold, gold all-rounders, and they're the two plays for me. Yeah. Um, if you're not planning to play the other, then unless I'm misinterpreting, then you keep the cheapest player so you can bring in some absolute guns. But maybe if someone was missing or you had to play a third player, Look, I think Hales has only got the one game, but a monster score potentially to finish on a high. So that would be my advice. Who would you go with there, uh, Maxi? I think I would go Hales and Sams. Um, I think of all those teams on the single game week, they've got the best matchup up against the Melbourne Renegades, who will have, um, you know, both eyes probably on uh, Mad Monday. Um, and you know, there's Hales' forms looked looked really really good. He's he's looked like he's definitely turned a corner. Um, he was sort of found out a little bit by some high quality spin at the SCG last night, but even before that, he hit some nice boundaries and looked good. So um, I'd definitely be looking towards the Thunder, um, albeit you know Matt Short's a busy cricketer and does give himself a lot of potential to score points with his four overs and his batting. But um, on a pure matchup play, I'd be going the Thunder. I think. Definitely Sam's and Matty Short. I'd be holding and playing what we've seen from them. Definitely Sam's. Third one, uh, the strikers playing the first game of the round. So Peter Siddle's a guy that you can AE loop. Sit him on your bench, uh, put the AE, the emergency on him. And if he goes nuts, you can slot him back in. So he's probably the third one I'd keep there. Uh, and you can obviously AE loop Matty Short as well. So they're, they're, that's the way I'd attack that one. Boys, nice solid podcast to wrap up the season. I think we'll finish it up there. 
Uh, quick little thank you from me for the entire season. <clears throat> uh, I say this time and time and time again at the end of the years in the podcast wrap-ups, but uh, the Supercoach community at Kick-Ass, they're such a great bunch of people and so positive. Um, all the other podcast contributors, all the people out there, um, just a really good group of people um, who support each other. So thank you to all them uh, and best of luck for the end of the season. Thank you, obviously, to you boys, Tommy and Maxi, all the other boys. Um, Hopefully you've enjoyed what we've produced this season. We love feedback here. We're trying to make this product as good as we can for you each and every year. Uh, so if you do have any feedback, jump onto that email, please. It's supercoachplaybook at gmail.com. If there's anything you think we can improve on or offer you, let us know, and then we can get that sorted for you going into the new season. We'll be back in a week or so to launch into our NRL content and very excited to be dropping our AFL content as well this season. Uh, we've got a stack of gun contributors lined up for that one. Same as the NRL, dedicated podcast, daily content, uh, you'd be pleased to know I will not be hosting that podcast because I know very little about AFL. I've got some good people in to do that for me because I'll offer nothing on that one. Um, a few other big surprises on the way, which we'll announce coming into the season, but very much looking forward to the upcoming season. Guys, jump into our trade centre on site. Get chatting NRL AFL pre-season with our contributors. I'm really keen to get this going this season because it's a great platform uh, for us to chat Supercoach and talk about trades and whatnot. We get questions coming through all different areas of social. If you can try and condense it to this, we'll definitely be able to answer your questions every week. But now, that's a wrap-up for the Big Bash season. Hey, Tomo, thank you for all your help this season, mate. You've been unreal. No dramas. What a season it was. Looking forward to putting my feet up, listening to a bit of your NRL and AFL content. And then at the end of 2022, well, not quite the end, we're keen, so we'll start a bit early, but we'll we'll plot for listeners and subscribers and see what we can do to help everyone next BBL season. Oh, mate. And uh, Maxi, mate, what a find you've been on debut this season. You have been enormous. Yeah, thanks, Timmy and Tomo. It's been an absolute pleasure to be a part of the crew. Um, really enjoyed giving my thoughts and uh, hopefully helping out um, a few of the listeners and subscribers uh, with their teams this year. Um, really, really enjoyed getting all the questions as well, people finding us on social and um, and asking us for advice on their team. So um, love being a part of the community and, and hopefully you'll have me back again next summer. Oh, mate, I don't think there's uh, too much to beat here. You'll be getting a run somewhere there. Thank you very much, fellas. Uh, And thank you for the Big Bash season. Good luck in round 13. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.